Hello, and thank you so much for inviting me back into your life here for our midweek Bible study. Whenever you do listen to this, it's actually being recorded on the first day of August, and it will show up in the second week in September. So if I say anything out of date, now you know why, all right? We are walking our way through the New Testament in the order in which the books were written. If you have questions, uh, info at rsafeharbor.com. And rsafeharbor.com is a fun website anyway, so you may want to go have a look there. We ask you to share this with one person a week, if at all possible, so we can grow this and get a little bit more weight with YouTube search and Google search engines. And if you don't know that, they're the same company. So if we can uh, get your help, that'd be lovely. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and let me give you a heads up. We're going to get into chapter 2 sooner or later. And when we do, we're going to step aside from the verse by verse only. We'll still do verse by verse, but we're going to spend a little time on the subject of women and women's roles in ministry and the like, because I know our safe harbor is not where some of you are, even though you love us and we love you. We've never asked anybody to agree with us on anything except that Jesus Christ is a son of God. So we can work through that. But I'm going to put out a little bit more information about why we are where we are on that subject and then offer to you that we can send you links if you need more. All right. So just be aware, there may be a pause there of a couple of weeks where we just pile around in chapter two. Okay. But we're in chapter one now. First Timothy chapter one, verse five. Let's get to it. The goal of this command is love. What command? He has just said in the, the previous two verses that we are not to be hung up on genealogies and this and that doctrine that we chase. And what he's talking about are the group of people that are his own people. He is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The vast majority of the new Christians were Jewish. But some of the Jews were thinking, this is going to destroy us. This is not truth. This is destruction. And even some of the Jewish Christians did not like Paul because Paul was letting Gentiles in. And so because of all of that, that's why Paul is where he is right now, which is under house arrest in Rome. While under house arrest, he writes this letter to Timothy, who is his son in the, in the faith. He also had Titus. He had others who followed, but there seemed to be a very special bond with Timothy. And so he's, he's going to have to lay out for Timothy. All right, I'm locked up. What are you supposed to be about? What are you supposed to be doing with your life and with this new faith and with this story that we have? And he warns Timothy about the very same people that have ended up getting Paul into house arrest in Rome. And that are, that those are the Jews that were saying, you some of them were saying, you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but you still have to be Jewish in your, your practices. You have to circumcise, you have to eat the, the only the clean foods, and on and on, keep the holy days. Uh, and then there were the Jews that did not accept Jesus as the Messiah at all, and they argued against it. And they would bring to this table this, um, this great antipathy toward Paul. Paul, being under house arrest, is aware that anything he writes going in and out will be seen, will be reported, 
and will be misquoted. In other words, Paul's on the internet of his day because you can't make a living talking and teaching without saying things wrong or that can be taken out of context very easily. So uh, he's going to be very careful and he's not going to name the names in the exact group. So he says the people who are following the genealogies and the myths, he says, don't do that. Stay away from that. And the end result of staying away from that is love. Now, how is that possible? Well, because no longer do I look upon you as a white man or a black woman or a Hispanic teenager or a, a, an Asian old person, but rather as a person. We don't get our identity from our genealogies. We briefly mentioned this last week, so I won't go into it in any great depth. It is absolutely fine to take the, the uh, DNA test. I've done several because I was part of the British DNA project for several years. It's fine. But when you get to the point of your genealogy is your destiny and your value, that's a problem. Most of us aren't related to anybody important, at not, not at least close hand. When we say important, like kings and queens, and uh, uh, every now and then people will tell me that they're related to a Cherokee princess. And I just smile because the Cherokee are not one people. The Cherokee are, were known for bringing in anybody who was running and needed help. Uh, therefore, you know, runaway slaves found places and uh, the Cherokees runaway poor white people found places among the Cherokee and they didn't have any princesses. But other than that, you nailed it. We don't get our value from this. Uh, I have, I've had people say, well, you know, I, you know, I lost my temper and I'm really sorry, but you know, my grandmother was Irish and well, my mother's Irish. And you're not going to find anybody sweeter on the planet. Your, your bloodline does not determine your behavior and your choices. Oh, it might push you towards some behaviors, but you do get to manage the push. All right. So that said, he's saying, we just need to get away from all of this and love. In fact, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Notice what he didn't bring up again. He did not bring up anything that Christians have fought about, sometimes literally with sword and arrow on, a, on the battlefield. Who runs it? Who's in charge of the local church? Who's in charge of the wider church? What is the proper worship? How can we, you know, what songs are acceptable in what way? And none of that. The sincere faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that changes everything, including and especially our personal behavior. And whenever we get into a community, then that community's behavior changes the wider community. One by one, just like this church does, one by one, reaching one more person in one more country, one more small town, one more inner city, then they share, we want you to share the, the broadcast, obviously, but you don't have to. That's entirely up to you. What we want you to do is share your love and good works with others. And whenever they ask you why, tell them about Jesus. They might accept him, they might not, but keep loving them. Refuse 
to be the first person, that, well, not even the first, but refuse to stop loving people. That's our job. Not finding precision rules. Those were left behind. This is something new God has done. He, in fact, will go. Some have wandered away from these, sincere heart, pure conscience, to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or so confidently affirm. We know <coughs> the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers, he's on a roll, for, uh, and perverts, for slave traders, liars and perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. All right, there, there's a lot in here, right? Um, and by the way, that's going to be a common theme of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Um, we won't go through them in that order. That you, he's going to pack so much in, a common theme is going to be, all right, we have to stop and unpack this a bit. The law is good if you know how to use it properly. We've all seen injustice that was technically, that was the law, but it was in, unjust. It is a hard thing to properly apply law. And I feel for our police officers, many of them, many of them, and please remember, I train them at every level, uh, not how to do all their job. I have a narrow specialty. But they anything from Interpol, Europol, FBI National Academy, uh, state police forces, all the way down to local police. And, and, and if you have a need where you are, again, info at our safeharbor.com, reach out. We'll do what we can to get to you. The, the poor guy out there and the poor woman out there in uniform trying to apply justice, it's really tough. Because if you go by the book, it disrupts the community. It destroys faith in the system. If I'm in a 55 mile an hour zone and I'm going 56 and you give me a ticket, that will color the way I think of police as, wait a minute, I'm not asking you to give me 10 or give me 20. This seems to be not important enough to apply the law. Get the point? Sometimes the application of the law is an injustice. Injustice. This is why in America, you have something called jury nullification, which means, yeah, they're guilty, but we're not going to find them that way, we, we say they're released. A lot of people don't know that's in America. It absolutely is. And rarely is it used. But, uh, and I'm sure it's been used wrong. In fact, I believe, if I remember correctly, in reading the T Taylor Branch books on America during the King years, that during the Civil Rights era, there were several juries that did a nullification of somebody they knew lynched a poor person or uh, burned out their home or something. So Paul's saying the law is a weapon and it can be used for good or bad, but it's really here for the unrighteous. What, is that? what does that mean? Well, let's go back to the traffic example. 
Please be aware, I'm not giving you any driving advice, nor do I know the laws in your state or city. All right? In most jurisdictions, if you are going with the flow of traffic, they're not going to bother you. In other words, if you're on the interstate, I've been in time in places on the interstate where if I went the speed limit, I would kill myself and others because everybody else was going 15 miles over. And I mean, everybody, not one little, you know, jacked up Honda Civic, everybody to stay safe. You stay in the pack and you go with the flow of traffic. And again, um, Technically, the police can give you a ticket there. And so don't take this as legal advice in any way, shape, or form. Most police see that it would be a danger for you to hold the law. So they let you roll. It's up to them to protect the highway, though. So, you know, they're doing their job either way. Point I'm trying to make is this. If you are righteous you generally don't have to be told not to be a hazard on the road, that you're going to stay with the flow of traffic the best you can. And if you're able to, if you are physically and mentally able, you're going to, you're going to make this as safe for yourself and for others as possible. You're going to put on your, your blinker. Remember those, they come with cars. Now might want to use those, check your blinker fluid and use them. You put on your indicator, you put on your blinker, you, uh, you don't pull out of, in front of somebody if it will cause them to have to change lanes or break or the light. You show consideration. You let other people in. Righteous people don't need a law for that. So why do we have a law? Because not everybody's righteous. The same reason uh, that we have all these rules about, uh, about air travel. In the, in the movie back, when was this? Back in the 70s, a Robert Redford movie, the great Waldo Pepper about early aviators and those magnificent old things of stick and cloth that they used to fly around in. And whenever the government gets onto him for a couple of stunts, he's pulled, he gives this little speech of what are you going to do? Are you telling me you're going to put highways in the sky that you're going to tell people when and where they can fly? Well, yeah, that did happen. And I'm all right with that. There was an example. There was a flight in South America that ran right into the side of a mountain. It was an airliner, killed everybody. I think this was back around 1970, but I didn't look it up. So it, it's in that era. I remember it because I read the, the report after in a psychological journal. Stay with me. You see, the pilots didn't believe the warning sounds coming from their instruments. They didn't believe what the instruments were telling them. They believed they were free and clear of that mountain to the point where when they did recover the voice recorder, the last words as they were laughing and joking back to each other were shut up gringo. Cause all, if you don't know this, all aviation communication <coughs> in almost all the world <coughs> is in English. It was just, um, something people agreed to, to keep people safe. They were hearing the warning signs pull up and people and, and the, the voicing pull up, you know, ground impact them and it, and they didn't believe it. They said, shut up gringo. So why do we have laws? Because some people aren't paying attention. 
Some people aren't taking this seriously. And some people, not these pilots, some people are evil. And look at this. Some kill their fathers or mothers. Some are adulterers and perverts. I have no idea how to really translate the word pervert in a, um, in a family-friendly forum. Uh, for slave traders, liars, and perjurers. You know, we would probably put liars in a different list than people who kill their mother and or trade slaves, but he's saying it's all of a piece. It's for those people that we had to make the law. All right? Why do we have to make the law? Because all of these things are contrary to the sound doctrine, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is what? You are made in the image of God. You are an intentional individual. You were planned. I don't believe you were planned from the earliest parts of the universe birth, but regardless, whatever you think about that, that's fine. But you are a person made in the image of God. And your calling is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor, which Jesus defined as even your worst enemies to love them as you love yourself and to live a life following Jesus, doing good, stepping in between those that would want to harm and those who are vulnerable, however you do that. That's our job. And people like that aren't going to be liars and perjurers and trading slaves, for goodness sakes, murdering parents. So Paul here is saying, I want you to be like Jesus. Now he's going to talk about something which is a very important thing for all of us. And that is, how do we get to talk about God and tell people that we should love each other and be good when we ourselves are sinners? We don't manage our sin. That's not the job. The job is to not sin. But we, we still do in thought, in deed, by commission or omission, is one of those beautiful old prayers that the Church of England puts it. Paul says, yeah, I'm telling you what to do. I'm telling you how to live your life. And I have, Paul, a bad past, a really bad past. He just talked about it in Acts as we were finishing the last few weeks. So how can I, how can I sit here and write a letter telling you how to behave? And he comes back to grace. If you wonder if God will forgive you, I want to cut to the chase first. Of course he will. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you could out the grace of God? That you could do something so bad that even the blood of Christ couldn't cover that? Some people will go, I don't know if I'm really forgiven. As, and they believe that's being humble. Actually, that's being really arrogant to think that you and your sin have outwitted God's grace. If you ask him to forgive you, you have to believe him when he says he does readily and that he wipes the record clean. So that said, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So we need to stop here. 
Paul has lived in good conscience and to this day, as he says. I think the grace that covers Paul covers me. But I have to confess to you that I, I, don't, I wasn't a blasphemer. I don't think I, I was a persecutor. I certainly was extremely unkind. So I'm not sure where that line falls. Um, a violent man, yep, done that. But all, mainly, yeah, a few incidences of physical, but mainly violent with my thoughts, with my words. Uh, if I used to debate people, and by the time I was done, they would be shredded. Uh, they'd be almost unable to function, but they weren't Christian. I had completely and utterly failed because of the way I acted, the way I've acted toward people, the things I've done toward people will haunt me the rest of my life. And here's the thing, unlike Paul, some of the time I knew what I was doing. So I'm paying attention to Paul now, but in the back of my head, maybe like you, I'm thinking, but what if you meant to do bad? We'll get to that. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. <clears throat> this was, in other words, one of the phrases that Christians use. <clears throat> Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. All my life I've said, um, maybe you were, Paul, but there's a new kid in town. And you probably think the same about yourself. Because the closer you get to the light, the more you see the imperfections. And I think that sometimes we look down and we see our imperfections and we wonder, is, was that forgiven? Yes, that's the rare, very reason Jesus came down to earth was to forgive sinners. That was what he came to do. Don't allow the devil to tell you that Christ failed when it came to you that these tidal waves of grace, these tsunamis of grace, somehow split and went around that little island that is your soul. The devil loves to do this, but by doing this, he is slandering God, making God small, so small he can't forgive your sins. He did. I, I used to have a lot of credit card debt because I didn't know how to use money. I mismanaged it. And we, uh, we actually went through Steve Diggs, who is a, a dear friend of ours who lives in the Nashville area over in Antioch. And he does these seminars called No Debt, No Sweat. So you can look up Steve Diggs, D-I-G-G-S, and No Debt, No Sweat. Uh, and he has books and he has presentations and he travels and um, just a wonderful fellow. But he did a presentation at our church when we served in Michigan and my wife and I decided, let's give that a try. And we paid off our credit card debt. It was just amazing. We didn't think we'd ever get out from under, but we absolutely did. So I don't write a check to Visa. Or I know anybody under, under 40 right now is going, who writes checks? I don't go online and pay Visa anymore because I don't owe them anymore. How silly would it be? <clears throat> How silly would it be to continue to pay on a debt you've already paid off? Christ paid off your debt. 
that's good news. And that's why he keeps bringing up good news, good news, good news. For that very reason, Paul says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, even though it wasn't intentional in Paul's case, Christ Jesus might display his very important word here, and the NIV nails it, nails the concept, unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. God's patience with you is wonderful. We don't always approve of God's patience for others, right? That's the problem. But we need to look at it a different way. God's patience with warmongers like Putin uh, and, and like many of our leaders have been, we've got to be honest, God's patience with them is good news for you. Because if God can continue to give them chances and breath and life and another rising sun, <coughs> sorry, got a tickle for some reason. <clears throat> the, um, the patience he has for you must be amazing. Certainly more than enough. More than enough. Abundantly. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that's, um, that's just a, an outpouring of praise that Paul goes, that Paul gives. And the fact is, and I think I brought this up here, so I don't want to keep saying something and, and get you guys bored. But one of the main reasons that I do this job it, and it's really up there in top two or three, is pure gratitude. Because any way you look at it, God should not have picked me to do this job or any job. Because I know my frailties. I know my sins. I know my difficulties. I know my handicaps. I wouldn't have picked me. If we were picking volleyball teams, I, I nope. I wouldn't have picked me. God picks us, all of us, that's you too, because he has the grace and love. He's got you. He's got enough for you. Trust him. Well, Timothy, my son, he starts in verse 18, I give you this instruction in keeping with the instruction, uh, I'm sorry, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So should we run to the Old Testament and find a prophecy about Timothy? No, you're not going to find one. We don't have any record of this. It's just remember, it's a reminder. When you read the Bible, you're reading somebody else's mail. And you don't know if you have all of their mail. In fact, we absolutely do know. We don't have all of Paul's mail. And you don't get any return mail. So it'd be like trying to, to develop the story of a great great new faith by only grabbing one out of, and I'm making up a number, <coughs> every five emails and just randomly, and then trying to build a church on that. This is why we tell people, let's stick with Jesus. Let's just do the Jesus thing. And all these other differences, we're going to let God sort out because we trust him. 
His grace is abundant. So by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked. shipwrecked. Two past tenses on the end of that shipwreck. That was a bad wreck. Shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. <clears throat> okay. Well, if you listen to our, Mon uh, our Sunday worship, uh, back in, what was it? It had been in May and June, I think. We did <clears throat> a whole long series on eating from the poison tree, the tree to the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and pushed that we are not to be judging people. So what do we do with something like this? There's absolutely nothing wrong with observation. Observation is not judgment. Although this verse complicates something and we'll get there and then we'll be done with this today. Give you some, give you some downtime, all right? Um, <clears throat> if I look at somebody uh, as I, did yesterday, <clears throat> we're going to do traffic again. Spend a lot of my time in the air and on the road. As I'm driving, here comes a semi into my lane. And I mean, I'm right halfway there. And he just starts coming and coming. Now that happened to us once in October of 1993 to me and my daughter and son when we were on a bridge. And the semi drove us into the bridge. We spun and hit the bridge two or three more times. Totaled the car injured me, um, not life-threatening, but let's just put it this way. The third time we hit the bridge, my seatbelt gave way and my knees went into the dash. Our, my kids had bruises and a cut, but that's, did they have, no, I don't think I got a cut, just bruises. But we all had to go to the hospital for a while. So yesterday as I'm driving in the rain and this bit massive truck's just coming over. I don't have anywhere to go. <clears throat> I lay on my horn and slowly eases back. And then they, they slowly, you drive by and you see them looking at their phone or reading a map. Just, I can look at that and say, that guy could kill somebody. Did I just make a judgment? No, you made an observation. An observation <clears throat> and a logical predictor of future possibility. That's all you did. You weren't, um, you weren't saying that's a bad person who should go to hell. No, <clears throat> we let God take care of things like this. So what's going on here? I think I know. You can actually look up in commentaries about Hymenaeus and Alexander. <clears throat> we don't know much at all. So how do you hand somebody over to Satan and still be a person preaching the gospel of love? It is an expression. We have expressions we use all the time. I just did that all the time. Do I use expressions all the time? No, very often I speak in complete sentences that are precise and meant to actually communicate facts. But we do use expressions. And we do use genre and we do use hyperbole and synecdoche. And it's a phrasing, which means I've given up. I'm not going to try to reach them anymore. 
This is a pearls before swine moment. Jesus warned his apostles not to throw pearls before swine because pearls you know, mean nothing to a hog. And as Jesus said, they'll just trample them underfoot. They do not understand the value of a pearl. And there does come a time where, as Jesus said, if they reject you, <clears throat> you have to shake the dust off your feet and walk away. That's what he's doing. <clears throat> Is he saying it in a rougher way than I think he should have said it? I have such little knowledge of what's going on here. I think that would be rather arrogant of me to say that Paul overstepped. What I will say is I don't think you or I should be going around using that phrase. Instead, last thing before we go, all right? Take that person, those, the, that group that have upset you, hurt you, perhaps split your family, whatever it is, but they've been walking around in your brain. They've been living there rent-free for years. Maybe you keep going back trying to fix them, and every time you do, you come back bloodied in soul and spirit, if not in body. Take them and pray for them diligently. And then if, you, if, if it's a matter of the soul, survival of your soul, your church, your family, do this. Drop them and say, God, I can't carry them anymore. I'm going to have to let you take this from here. Some, you're going to have to send somebody else while I go and heal and tell your story to someone who might better receive it. And that's really what's going on here. He's warning, he's warning Timothy. These people are misusing the story of Jesus and they are shipwrecking the faith. I've met people who have spent their entire life, and I know we're in extra time now, so I'll be very brief, writing papers, sitting on the internet to attack other believers. That is a shipwreck of our faith. Our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Love God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And go be like Jesus. Next week, chapter 2. Cheers.